0: Love Talk Radio. Listening to this week in Accountable Care on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Greg Masters, and we are broadcasting from San Diego, California, on November the 28th, 2012. This week in Accountable Care is brought to you by Zenate Media, digital architects of the Triple Aim. My special guest today is the talented Jane Saracen Khan, also known uh, to many on Twitter as @HealthyThinker. And We're going to discuss the ACO marketplace from her perch, from her global and, in some respects, granular take on what's out there in a rather frenetic development mode. Jane is a health economist and management consultant that serves clients at the intersection of health and technology. In addition to her Twitter presence, she also publishes the popular blog, healthpopuli.com, is a frequent speaker and moderator in the health innovation front at conferences like Health 2.0 and others. Jane is a member in good standing of the Walking Gallery. She has a beautiful jacket that was painted by the one and only Regina Holiday. Jane's clients include all stakeholders in health including providers, payers, plans, communities and companies in biopharma, medical devices, financial services, technology and consumer goods, and even nonprofits and NGOs. So, Jane, welcome to This Week in Accountable Care.
1: Thanks, Greg. It's great to be with you here from my snowy perch in Philadelphia.
0: Oh, my. Yes, (laughs) no, it is that time of year.
1: That's right.
0: Not San Diego, though. Yeah, no, we don't see it in San Diego, although we do get dusted in the mountains here now and then. You never know. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you for uh taking time to visit with us today. And uh, so first up, let's talk a little bit about you, you you and what you do and then we'll go into the ACO conversation. So Jane, who are you?
1: Thanks. Well, I'm a um, woman who studied health economics before it was cool back in the 80s, uh, late 80s into the 90s, and had the opportunity as a young management consultant in health care after working a few years in the U.S. to go over to the U.K. and work in their health system when Mrs. Thatcher was prime minister. So I sort of cut my teeth on uh, accountable care 20 years ago uh, in the great National Health Service single-payer system uh, over there, came back, and re- Really um, learned a lot about the role of technology in health, actually, when I was in England as well, um, working with the likes of GE Medical Systems and um, Burroughs Welcome at the time in the early era of of, uh, AIDS drugs. Uh, In any case, I fell in love with the idea that technology could help us reduce costs, improve quality, and expand access, um, i.e. the triple aim that you mentioned earlier. And so my practice as a healthcare consultant really focuses on that role of technology, working with all the stakeholder organizations that you mentioned here in the U.S. and uh, still do, doing some work in Europe. Um, and lately, especially I've been, I'd say lately being the last five to six years, looking at the role that patients play in their own health care and the, and the health care for people they care about. So that gives you a glimpse into what my daily life is like uh, beyond the blog and the speaking engagements. That's how I make a living.
0: So in your consultant mode and your swath of interest in terms of potential clients, where do your travels take you, what do you see, and then let's morph it into the ACO conversation.
1: Sure. What I'm seeing now is virtually every kind of stakeholder, whether it's um, a food food company, a pharmacy, a a pharmaceutical company or med device company, of course hospitals and providers and health plans and even banks, all asking me the question, how can we get up close and personal with people slash patients so they can participate in their own health care more effectively and we can do our jobs better? And so all those different stakeholders, I think, have a role to play in the accountable care Uh, community. You'll note I didn't say accountable care organization, because I'd love to keep this conversation broader than, quote, the ACO um, conversation that a lot of people have, and I think gets stuck in a lot. So I'm going to take the broader definition of accountable care that the Oliver Wyman report that came out this week, a very good report on ACOs, uh, takes as well, the broad definition of value-based health care, which we can call accountable care.
0: Excellent. So uh, elaborate a little bit more on that. What are you seeing? So there's a much wider level of interest in what the heck we're doing inside the healthcare space. We used to be able to contain those conversations, but now it seems like everybody has an opinion. So talk talk a little bit more about the distinction you're making between accountable care organizations per se, and inside of that, we do have the, 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 the Medicare Shared Savings version, and then what's amping up on the commercial side, and then whatever other of these accountable care collaborations. So do you have some some thoughts you can share about that?
1: Sure. Um, when we think about, so I'll put the health economist hat on now, when we think about health spending, which is the kind of thing that keeps me up at night as a health economist, you know, we're spending upwards of $2 trillion a year on health, and three-quarters of that goes to chronic care. So things like heart disease, diabetes, asthma, um, et cetera, et cetera, and many cancers as well are considered chronic because people survive, which is a great thing. But we're spending 3 and $4 on uh, chronic conditions, conditions that are largely amenable through lifestyle changes, what we eat, moving around, not smoking uh, tobacco at all, and not drinking a whole heck of a lot um, to excess. So when you look at those four factors, we really can impact what the World Health Organization calls non-communicable disease, meaning not infectious disease, which used to kill most people. Now it's NCDs, non-communicable diseases that kill us and make us infirm. So when we think about chronic care then in the U.S. healthcare system, eating up so much money, how do we impact that through accountable care? Well, regardless of of what what we call it, whether ACO or uh, value-based care um, or bundled payments, uh, we have to organize care in ways that get to people where they, quote, live, work, play, and pray, which is what our Surgeon General uh, Regina Benjamin, the wonderful Dr. Benjamin, has said. Health is not centered in the doctor's office. It's where we live, work, play, and pray. So for me, that should be the mantra for accountable care, because if we just focus on how doctors and hospitals are organized, we're missing 98% of where people live, how people live, right? So if we can extend care and services, both clinical services, social services, Education, where people live, work, play, and pray, we can impact them on a daily basis and have them literally stay out of the doctor's office and out of the hospital and stay healthier. If we teach people how to shop more healthy with smartphone apps like Kemi Weingarten's. Fujicate or uh, count calories on things like the lose it app, little tools that people can use every day that get them out of their office chair once an hour or every ninety minutes to Like I do. I don't leave a big pot of tea on my desk anymore upstairs. I have to go into the kitchen every hour to get a new cup of tea, adding another, oh, I don't know, 50 to 100 steps to my daily journey for each cup of tea. That's a good thing that I've done for for my health. So in any case, I'm defining the health ecosystem more broadly than the ACO typical definition. And I like to think about accountable care in terms of an accountable care community, Because if we think about an ACC instead of just an ACO, we're not only thinking of hospitals and doctors here. We're thinking about resources in a community like school-based clinics, pharmacies, Uh, work site clinics, retail clinics, and I note that uh, Minute Clinic has been signing a lot of local health systems to staff these clinics that are found in CVSs. Walmart has has always uh, staffed their clinics with medical school uh, residents and uh, doctors and not just nurse practitioners. So we're looking at extending the care team both within the medical practice, beyond the doctor, to look at nurse practitioners and include them, PAs, diabetes educators, and other staff who can leverage the physician's time. So the doctor in the practice, uh, which has very scarce time to see everybody, can just commit time and lay hands on the sickest patients who really need to see her. The rest of the staff can help take care of the bulk of patients during the day. So again, you think about accountable care community extending out of the doctor's office and then within that office thinking about a diversified and multidisciplinary care team, which to me is the secret of a medical home that operates efficiently and effectively and then the real um, success factor for ACOs to work with organizations who are multidisciplinary like that. So that's why I'm extending this definition to accountable care community uh, or health ecosystem to think about people getting care where they live, work, play, and pray, which I think is so, so very important for us to sort of break this paradigm of the doctor at the center. By doing this, by thinking about accountable care communities, we put the patient in the center, which is where the patient should be.
0: Okay, so I have a reasonable grasp on what's going on out there in the accountable care space, but I have not heard the term or phrase accountable care communities. Now, is that a is that a Jane Saracen Kahn born-on-date <laughs> type of event here or is there a previous <laughs> blog post I just missed?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I've mentioned it in a couple of Health Populized, but I did read the phrase Accountable Care Community a couple of years ago written by a doctor at uh, UNC at North Carolina who's the head of family practice whose name I forget, but he wrote a piece uh, where he used the phrase Accountable Care Community and this doctor is one of the Godfathers of Team-Based Healthcare and Primary Care. So I encountered his work when I uh, wrote my paper, Primary Care Everywhere, for California Healthcare Foundation last year, which is where I I looked at the uh, shortage of primary care doctors uh, and thought about reimagining what primary care could be, and that 's when I started to think about care outside of the office in the in the community, so anyway that 's where I first heard the phrase "accountable care community," and it stuck with me because. I'm old enough to uh, know who Tip O'Neill was, who said uh, all health care is, I mean, all politics is local. And so um, lately I've been saying health care is local, even though we know second opinions can be global and radiologists like Nighthawk uh, work all over the country, all over the world. So um, in any case, uh, I I really see primary care as, as the linchpin of of um, accountable care and and the medical home. And if you look, as as I worked uh, in the U.K. and and with the NHS um, many years ago, um, if you look at other developed countries who have much better health outcomes than we do in the U.S., the one commonality, even though they all pay for care a little bit differently, but the one commonality all of those countries have is a strong primary care backbone. And we do not have that in this country, which is why I believe one reason why our costs are so high. I actually believe primary care should be paid a lot more than they're paid, primary care doctors, um, and maybe brain surgeons a little bit less. But that gets into uh, things like um, health care cost cliff and looking at looking at how money gets spread through this whack-a-mole game that's U.S. health care. So and that's another discussion. But in any case, primary care yeah. as an infrastructure is really, really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would actually uh, you know, I ask you about that cuz attribution is really important here I think in the blogosphere and social media. So, I'm going to follow up on this guy at U- UNC to see if yeah, I can get the actual Googling
1: name. It. I'm just yeah. looking I'm just looking for it and I will get the name of it before the end okay. of the call for so sure.
0: meanwhile, meanwhile, I do want to shout out that uh that piece you did for the California Healthcare Foundation which is uh can be found at uh at their site CH cf.org and just search for primary care everywhere, or just Google primary care everywhere. will come right yep, up in the first it's and I one. see there. Yeah, it's number one. So and there's a nice interview with Jane Saracen Khan. So let me ask you this: in light of the primary care, uh, the, the criticality, the mission critical role of primary care in this expanding universe of access to care. We have a crumbling primary care infrastructure. And one yeah. of the sources of that internal instability is uh, the massive out-migration of primary care physicians who have said, you know what, I've had enough. You know, the, mo- the most yeah. recent example is, is Rob Lambert's, at Doc Rob on Twitter. He put a piece mm-hmm. up on the healthcare blog that said, you know, I'm done. So he's gone out and he's creating – uh, a membership model practice. Some would say concierge, but it's not really concierge. It's retainer or mm-hmm. membership-based, a monthly fee, like the Q Lions, if you're familiar with them. Yes. So what do you What do you do? You see that as a threat, or, or what role does that have in terms of the vision of fulfilling the Affordable Care Act?
1: I think it's another flavor, frankly. I think anything that gets care to people in the community and provides access. Is not a bad thing. It might not be useful for a safety net population or for certain people in Medicare, but it could be good for other people in Medicare who might want to manage a chronic condition in a collaborative way with their physician. So Rob wants the um, freedom to be able to practice the way that he and his colleagues want to practice. And there will be, you know, there will be patients who this is appropriate for. I see this as. very consumer-directed kind of care, in in my definition of consumer-directed, which is looking at the world through Procter & Gamble eyes or Disney eyes, which is if people should be able to get care delivered in the way that that they want it so that one size won't fit all. And if people... um, who are commercially insured and have a level of of choice across several different models of accountable care, I would think they will be able this practice might be able to practice in the accountable care type of world if they get the right tentacles out in their community with other kinds of providers and they could provide a different kind of accountable care organization so I think we're the beauty of being at the beginning of this um, This S curve, you know, at the bottom end, is that you can define it the way that you want to. And the way that I, if I was doing an accountable care organization, I would put all those different kinds of stakeholders together in a best of breed kind of way. So I would work with the best darn grocery store in the community or grocery store chain in the community and the best pharmacy chain based on. You know where I want to be and the branding that I want to do. I think it, it's it's you know going beyond branding. It's actually delivering the product. The product being health outcomes at the end of the day. So Rob, it has one vision of what this could look like, and I think we're going to see a lot of different experiments, which is what all of this is right now. Our our experiments. Um, no one's you know done done these things yet, although. I will say that in my paper I researched uh, an organization called WellMed in San Antonio, Texas, and you can read about it in the paper. But WellMed is actually a real ACO and has been in existence for many years and takes on Medicare Advantage patients. What WellMed does so well, Greg, is um, they're very primary care-driven and have very small patient panels of, say, 500-ish patients instead of 2,000. And by doing that, having small physician panels or patient panels, they actually can spend a heck of a lot more time with patients. But they have team-based delivery so that it's not the doctor all the time that patients are seeing. It's these other kinds of workers whose titles I mentioned earlier so that you can develop that staffing team-based complement and provide a really high level of care. And what they did at WellMed was really reduce things like readmission to hospitals and have nurse call centers where nurses remind people to take medicine. Think of that, a novel novel approach to medication adherence in a real medical home type model. So I think there are um, models you can look at that are very patient-centric who leverage technology. WellMed has um, invested a lot in health IT, which is the other backbone you need, in accountable care, which is um, real open standards, EHR, and not just hospital and physician EHRs, but systems that will accept data from a lot of different places, which is another part of this conversation I I want to dig into later. By the way, the chap um, whose name I'm looking for is Dr. Lloyd Michener, and he's at Duke Medical Center, Duke uh, Duke. University Medical Center. So his name is Michener, like the author, Lloyd Michener, and he is the godfather of the phrase accountable care community.
0: Uh, uh, Duly noted. and We will make that available after the fact as well. I just queried WellMed and – uh, are they Medicare? Um, have they been acknowledged by CMS as a, uh, a Medicare ACO, or do you know?
1: I don't. I don't know. Um, you know, uh-huh. when they started, there was no Medicare program for it. Well, Med's uh-huh. just organized right. to to deal with the community. So I don't know if they've gone back. No to medicare yeah. to get recognized as such they do just fine under under yeah. the old medicare advantage uh model. So I think you look at these local communities as I said and ah. you can find interesting yeah. approaches to this um anyway I, I I don't know the answer to that.
0: Okay, good. So there are, it's interesting they say unlike nearly every other ACO in the country and this was published uh in AAFP back in uh March of last year. It mm-hmm. says uh Uh, WellMed is not affiliated or dominated by a large hospital system or insurance company. It's primary care based and driven. Uh, Right. You know, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. So I love your fresh perspective and I so agree with it. It's 100% the case that, but how do you get, you know, the the workhorses out there? Who are just trying to survive day in and day out to think globally like this, I mean' cause these are these are humongous changes in how they approach the world, their marketplace, you know their patients i mean how do they- how do they get the breathing room
1: They have to there are um individual leaders. Who emerge in this market? Who are so pardon me, damn frustrated with the way things are that they and they want to stay in medicine. So, so the first thing is, do I want to do this for the next 20 years of my life? Um, if you're if you're in your you know early late 50s, early 60s, you might not have the stomach to create something. But I'm talking to a lot of younger physicians and younger health professionals, allied health professionals, people in rehab, people in health IT and, and who are informatics gurus who really see the future as being really fascinating and interesting and opportunistic. So you can look at, you know, Jay Parkinson who founded who was the original founder of Hello Health, who then divested out of that, and now he's running Sherpa. But Hello Health, which is a physician platform that helps doctors uh, live and work the way they want to, just garnered another $11.5 million from a venture capital firm this week uh, to do what they do, which is to liberate physicians to practice using cloud-based information systems. And so I think we're seeing these initiatives pop up where entrepreneurial health providers and uh, people who supply the industry um, like you and me, and, and and people who who look more globally, and say, you know what? There are other ways to skin this cat. Um, there will always be the mayo's and the Cleveland Clinics, and they have the scale to do big things and great things. But I think um, we're we're seeing a lot of fresh thinking in smaller markets like San Antonio and Austin and Brooklyn, which is the home of Hello, uh, the original home of Hello Health, grew out of grew out of that that marketplace, um, and. Not New York City itself. Um, You know, we're we're starting to see those kinds of entrepreneurs uh, coming together. You'll remember Scott Shreve, who used to come to a lot of Health 2.0 meetings, and he's innovated his concept called Crossover Health, which is a new kind of healthcare practice. So I think we're seeing entrepreneurial physicians and providers emerging in these markets, and then lots of of um, urban. Uh, integrated delivery systems who have uh, large safety net populations who, because they have limited resources um, and limited budgets, are coming up with some really interesting approaches. I'll I'll note the role of federally qualified health centers. I think, are going to be huge in places like Chicago and Detroit and Miami. For the Primary Care Everywhere report, I spoke with Access Health Network, which is out of Chicago. That's the largest FQHC in the country. They've got well over 40 centers in the Chicagoland area, and they do interesting things like bring nutritionists on board to then go to the local clinics and meet with folks um, put together a, a, a pantry uh, in, 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 a, in a supply closet in the clinic with foodstuffs that were bought by the grocery store down the street. So easily accessible foods. And the nutritionist sits with people who use the clinic and teaches people how to read the food labels. So that, you know, if you're a heart patient, you need to restrict your salt. Here is the line you need to look at, uh, Mr. Smith. This is so important. This is care where we live, work, play, and pray. The doctor isn't going to take time to teach somebody to read a a food label. But sure enough, you have a nutritionist um, on staff with the ACO in the medical home or the, the diabetes educator to help you look at the line item on carbs and sugars you better believe that will make an impact on people's life which has absolutely nothing to do with what the doctors telling the patient so again got extending it. the care got it
0: got got it so I did a a quick search on CMS and uh, WellMed, by the way, you did say sort of the magic word, Medicare Advantage
1: (laughs) Um,
0: in the CMS, uh, through the CMS prism, and this is why it's important to really define your terms when you talk about accountable care, accountable care organizations. WellMed is neither a pioneer, nor are they in the Medicare services, uh, shared services program as of this list, which is the most recent list I've found. So so they're out there, they're doing their thing under Medicare Advantage, and they may have cut a deal uh, with a commercial uh, payer as well doing their version of an ACO in San Antonio.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's why when we look at, like, the maps on where are ACOs and are they fast-moving or slow-moving, you really have to think about a larger umbrella because there are innovators out there who are delivering care based on value not volume that we need to learn from they're organized in creative ways and doing things differently which are bringing um, remuneration to physicians and staff and in the same way delivering real outcomes and that's really what this is all about how do you how do you uh, organize for outcomes and putting patients at the center
0: yeah, it's interesting uh, that map. By the way, uh, I'm looking at one that has a blue dot right in the middle of Texas, uh, and it is a Medicare Shared Savings ACO, but it's not well meant. So, at any rate, um, I also wanted to point out that the question to you earlier about uh, you know this out migration of primary care in an unstable primary care core, um, the membership models, the Q alliances of the world, the uh, are potentially eligible for inclusion as a qualified health plan to be listed in these uh, state or federal, however the case may be, mm-hmm. run health insurance exchanges that are coming up. Mm-hmm. So, technically, so technically, I get the criteria, the provisions under which they would be deemed eligible to participate are still in the process of being vetted, but conceivably that whole world could open up As a, as a, as a delivery system for ACO
1: patients. I think it will. I think the reality is you have a lot of medically underserved areas in the U.S. with large safety net populations who fall through the cracks, um, and also people who are, you know, un- underinsured, even if they have insurance. And so um, they have to be served in some way. And if you read the fine lines of the um, Af- Affordable Care Act, there's a lot of incentive to grow the nurse practitioner line item. In the primary care world, the PA line item, and uh, to provide funding um, in medical schools for you know new kinds of primary care. So I think that's I think we're going to see lots of new flavors coming up and some latitude to deliver based on that.
0: Good, Jane. We're coming down to the end of the program. Let me get your thoughts on this whole patient centricity, patient centeredness, and the role of uh, the social media tools and technologies that that's out there. Do you do you have some thoughts about that?
1: yeah i i absolutely do and it's a world you and i um are very active in without um involvement of the patient, engagement of the patient. You cannot bend the cost curve. You cannot deliver outcomes. You can have the best health IT system, uh, whatever, you, whatever brand you buy, um, and you can have protocols and procedures. But if the patient doesn't take her medicines or if the patient doesn't take the walk they're supposed to take every day um, or um, weigh themselves if they're a CHF patient, then it, all bets are off. You will not move the needle on outcomes or costs. So engaging patients is key, and engaging patients the way people want to be engaged um, is crucial so that what works for one will work for one. And a mobile app may work for one. A social network might work for another. An offline social network where you have group diabetes visits may work best for someone else. So you have to think about what kind of social network, what kind of tool, and that's why, again, I'm going to bring up the – brand procter and gamble because we have to think like consumer marketers when we're thinking about patient engagement
0: that's wonderful so i'm going to pull a ben choder of haptique on you what's your favorite app
1: oh my gosh i have so many lately because i need to relax it's the mayo clinic meditation app which i can take anywhere i go instead of a candle and a match
0: Well, that's going to be the last word from Jane Saracen Khan at Healthy Thinker on the broadcast today. We do this weekly on This Week in Accountable Care. Please join us next time for another episode of This Week in Accountable Care. This is Greg Masters saying bye now.